Hello, everybody, and welcome to In Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by features reporter Richard Marini, and later on in the show, I'll be joined by staff photographer Josie Norris. They join the show today to talk about their coverage of a protest held by Ukrainians living in San Antonio. Welcome to the show, Richard. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Luis. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. I know there's a lot going on, but can you just give me a quick recap of your story and what you wrote about? Yeah, um, I was asked by the editors to, to you know, do a story about what the what Ukrainians living in San Antonio, you know, their, their reaction to what's going on uh, with the Russian invasion over there. You know, we have about... I was told I learned about 3,000 folks of Ukrainian descent uh, in San Antonio. Apparently, there are more, or in Bayer County. Um, apparently, there are more than that living in Dallas and, and Houston, but we have a, a fairly large, you know, community of folks with ties to that country. So, you know, when your country's being invaded, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. So I was asked to, you know, go out and, and figure out and, and talk to them and see what their reaction is. And, what their thoughts were, their their fears, their concerns. Um, you know what the what they would hope the United States and, and the European Union and the rest of the world might do to, to help uh, you know stop the invasion or, or you know make it as, as damaging for Russia as possible. Fortunately, the day that that I was given this assignment, uh, there was a protest plan for uh, in front of San Fernando Cathedral in Main Plaza. So I spoke with a number of people. Um, by telephone, uh, who were not at that protest, but then I went down and, and probably, probably about 20 folks, uh, showed up at that protest at that, you know, to, to protest, uh, at main plaza. So, you know, there was a lot of folks there to, to interview as well. And, and I got to talk to a bunch of them. And actually I'm really curious as a journalist, you, you get the assignment. Where do you begin to look for sources? How'd you hear about this protest? What's kind of your process, uh, as you, as you tackle something like this? Well, in, in 2022, we're lucky. I mean, there's there's social media. So you go on Facebook and you search, you know, Ukrainian San Antonio. And there's the uh, the Ukrainian Society of San Antonio has a web page. And, you know, it's as simple as that these days. A lot easier than it used to be. I've been a journalist for more than 40 years. So I predate uh, the Internet. Um, uh, so it's it's a lot lot easier these days. And, you know, you you do post. Hi, my name is Rich Brady. I want to talk to people about, you know, what's going on. And, um, some folks, you know, I, I will put my phone number into Facebook. Um, it increases the number of spam calls I get, you know, exponentially, but you know, people will basically contact you. And, and if they're willing to talk, you will talk to them. And then one of these pages had a, had a notice about this, uh, this protest going on, uh, on Thursday, uh, in main plaza. Um, so, you know, I went down and, and, and talked to folks there. Interesting. And uh, I was going to ask, what was it like talking to these people? They're clearly hurting for their families in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. How, how do you approach an interview like this? It, it, it was, in many cases, it was heartbreaking talking to people. Um, you know, my, my lead was a woman named Anastasia who was not at the protest. I spoke with her by phone and I could hear her one-year-old baby in the background, you know, making fussing and all that stuff. And, and she was concerned. Um, she has her parents live in, still live in Ukraine. She had been here for a number of years. Um, and her dad had been called up to the Army Reserves and, and was, you know, he was, he, I get the feeling, she's told me he was 
uh, he went to like their equivalent of basic training back in the nineties. That's when he got his, his military training. So it's 30 years later and now he's, you know, being called up. So you figure he's 40, 50 years old. Um, and he was being called up and, and she had heard that he was going to the Eastern portion of, of the country, which is where the capital is. And that's where most of the initial fighting happened. And she was, she was terrified. Um, spoke to him, said goodbye to him on the phone. And as she told me, she was worried that that might be the last time she gets to speak to her, her dad. So the folks, you know, the, the people were very willing to talk. They, they were very eager to talk, to, to tell stories. Most of them that I spoke with had, had relatives friends still living in Ukraine, and they want to get the word out. They want Americans to know um, what's going on there. So from my perspective, it was very easy to get people to talk. Getting getting interviews was very simple, very easy. They were very willing to talk to me. And I mean, this is very inside baseball, but I love asking journalists this. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you uh, go about writing this story. Are you taking notes while you're interviewing people? Are you a voice memo guy? Are you writing in your head as you go? Or do you wait to gather everything, then go home, sit down and, and then tackle it? Um, in recent years, I've become much more of a, um, uh, recording my interviews. Um, it just, it, it's, it's, it, it takes more time, but it, you, you know, you're getting everything and, and you can't get everything in notes for this particular story. I did both. Uh, you know, the folks I'm talking to by phone, I'm writing notes. I, I wrote some notes uh, in in the main plaza, but then some I started uh, recording toward the end. I mean, it was, it was kind of curious, a little bit more inside baseball. Um, it was very cold and rainy, drizzly. Uh, and, and I always know that, you know, writing with a ballpoint pen when it's cold, literally the ink gets a little bit sludgy. So I always carry a pencil with me. Because you can write with a pencil. That's a you know an inside tip for for young journalists. Always have a pencil if it's cold because pens don't work that well. Oh my goodness, that's fascinating. Because yeah, that's something that you could only know if you've experienced it. Yes, I, if you if you found yourself in cold weather when your your pen doesn't work. Um, so so in the, to answer your question, in this particular story, I did both. I saw I, I did a couple of recordings, but most of the stuff was um, uh, handwritten notes. And then you asked, I don't write, you know, I was there. I wasn't writing while I was doing the interviews. I, for this particular piece, um, I went after everything was done. I went home and they, they wanted a, a, me to do a, a 10 or 12 inch piece to put on online as quickly as possible. Cause there was a lot of TV stations around. So they were doing their, their noon reports. Uh, so I did about a 10 or 12 inch piece, uh, that they put online very quickly. And I took a little bit more time and wrote a longer piece. It was probably a, 20, 25 inches, I guess, uh, that went up uh, probably about five o'clock. And then it was in uh, on the cover of the front page of the, the next day, Friday's paper. Another aspect of this story that I really wanted to make sure to highlight was Josie Norris's photography. Beautiful pictures, striking images. What was it like working with Josie? <laughs> Josie's terrific. She was a I think she was an intern, double check with that. And then she went away. She wanted, I remember, you know, her internship where the time here was, was ending and she really wanted to come and work for the paper, but there weren't any openings. And then she went away and she worked elsewhere. And then there was an opening and she, and there, I was thrilled. And I know she was thrilled to come back uh, to work at the, the Express News. She's terrific. And you know, when I see Josie walk in, I didn't realize that she was going to be the photographer. She was the photographer that was um, assigned to this story. 
but whenever I see Josie walk up with her camera, it's like, okay, everything's going to be cool. Everything's good. She, you know, the, the photo part of this was, was done. Um, and I, I was fascinated by the, the photos that she took and my, I don't know that I would have been able to see these people the way she did. Uh, and some of the photos she took, they just were very intimate. And you could see, if you look at the photos, you know, the, the, the sadness and the, the stress on the, the folks, uh, the, the faces of the people that she photographed was really obvious. She got some very, very nice shots of a very stressful sad, distressing situation, people going through, you know, having a hard time being here in San Antonio, knowing that their loved ones, I don't know how many thousands of miles away the Ukraine is, but, uh, you know, folks who were under a lot of stress and she got some wonderful photos showing that. And as always for the, for the folks listening, I'll have the article li- linked in the description. I looked to I specifically uh, picture 11 of 12 in the sequence is a woman with a traditional headdress right in front of the, the church. Just an incredible photograph. And I did. Um, I mean, the woman, I think it was Anastasia. Um, one of the women I spoke to. Yeah, it was Anastasia. One of the women I spoke to by phone who was not at the um, press conference. She was talking about it. This is the woman who talked about her dad. And I said, do you have a photo of you and your dad? And she, you know, willing to send me a photo. It's a, probably about a 20 year old photo, maybe a little bit more when she was young with her dad, but just to show the person, you know, the man that, that we talked, that uh, she was talking about her dad. So she sent us a photo and there is a photo in the slideshow as well, which I, you know, adds a, another level to the shots that Josie uh, uh, took for this photo, for this story. And I mean, I was just talking to Sig Christensen. You can check that out. It's in the feed. And he mentions very poignantly that what happens in Ukraine will reverberate uh, through San Antonio, not not just because we're a military town, but because we're such a diverse town to begin with. And I think that this story sort of encapsulates that point very well. And that was something several people um, mentioned. And, and you don't want to end a story when you're writing the story. You don't want to repeat the same point again and again and again. So I have one person sort of saying, hey, if, if Putin is allowed to to do what he's doing and, and annex this country, it doesn't mean he's he's going to be satisfied. You know, concern that you know it, it's not to go back to Vietnam, but the domino theory. I mean, he wants to reestablish the Soviet Union. So you know, after after Ukraine, what's next? And then several people again mentioned this, and, and I only had one person expressing it because you don't want to repeat yourself. China, you know, China. Uh, is is watching this um, and seeing what what the world does. Um, you know they've got their own. You can complete the takeover of Hong Kong, for example. Um, so there's a lot of other things going on, and everyone that was at this protest that I talked to was aware of it and expressed those same concerns, which I'm sure other same concerns. You know that's going that people are talking about are aware of in 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 DC and and in uh, the European Union as well. And interestingly, you mentioned uh, someone else in the story that uh, that it's, I read it from the article here. It says Putin's actions appear to have turned away at least some who previously supported him. Victor, yeah, he didn't. He was a. I spoke to him by phone, and he didn't want his last name uh, to be used. Uh, yeah, Victor, you know, grew up in eastern uh, Ukraine in a very in a Russian speaking area. Uh, that that's one of the pretenses that Putin did, you know, to, to rescue all these Russian speakers who lived happened to live in Ukraine. Sounds like he was one of those growing up, and and when Ukraine became independent in 1991, he says he was 
he was upset by that. He didn't like that. You know, he liked the fact, I guess, that Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union at the time. But now he says it's been 30 years. This country has been independent. So uh, he used the word evil uh, what, what, to describe what Putin is doing. And he says, you know, you've got to stop evil. Evil doesn't stop by itself. Uh, there was another young man named Dmitry uh, who I didn't it didn't work into the story, but I spoke with him. He was from Belarus, Belarus. Um, he had, you know, there's a lot of, a number of Ukraine flags, the blue and yellow that, you know, is becoming very, very apparent and, you you know, familiar to, to a lot of people. But he he carried the flag of Belarus, and which, you know, is a, is another country in that area and, and was supporting the folks from the Ukraine. And he was upset because apparently some of the Russian troops came through Belarus uh, before they entered uh, Ukraine. So there was more than just Ukrainian folks of Ukrainian descent at this protest. Uh, there was at least one who, you know, also supported from another country, folks who supported uh, the people protesting at Main Plaza on, on Thursday. Well, Richard, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your insights with us and your process. Thank you so much. I enjoy talking to you, Luis, and uh, thanks for having me. And now we're joined by Josie Norris. Josie was the staff photographer assigned to the protest. Welcome to the show, Josie. How are you doing today? Thanks. Thank you so much for having me, Luis. It's uh, great to be here. So, Josie, I don't think people know, and I'm including myself in that statement, how a photographer gets assigned to a story. Are you working with Richard the whole time? When does this come down the pipeline for you? So that's a really interesting question. Thank you so much for asking that. It is a very interesting process. It's sometimes hard to exp explain to friends and family that I don't know what I'm going to be doing the next day. I get an assignment email with details, times, and location, and a often a contact person for the stories that I'm covering the next day. So I do work with reporters. We definitely, I, if, there, if this is a heavier story, a bigger thing, a bigger project, I definitely reach out ahead of time and like make sure that I have all the details straight. Um, about what what situation we're going into. So in the case of this day, I actually was not supposed to be at this rally. Um, I was supposed to be up in Hill Country photographing a story about some upcoming developments. Um, and it got canceled because the weather was really, really awful. Um, I couldn't really get a good view for good photos that would really illustrate that story. So I got a text from my... Um, one of my photo editors, Michelle Fortier, um, saying, Hey, Josie, our, so your assignment is canceled this morning, but there's this rally happening for Ukraine. Are you good to go? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I knew this was going to be a really important, this is a really important and historic event. And to be able to photograph it in my city, I just jumped at the chance. So I was told Rich Moraney is going to be reporting on it. So, um, yeah, I parked in my go-to downtown parking lot. Um, and, walked over and Rich and I, like we said, Hey, we have actually had matching neon hats. Well, not super matching, but I had neon orange and he had neon yellow. So definitely came prepared. We don't always reporters and photographers don't always match, but in this case we did. And yeah, so kind of just waited and see, saw like how the rally unfolded. It's a lot of you. It's, it's really interesting. It's the creativity that's involved in, photojournalism is really incredible. So like you're given these parameters, like there's parameters of ethics and like, I can't stage a photo. Um, I take my responsibility really seriously of doing no harm with my photos. So there's all these, and then also like they need a photo that's going to be usable for the front 
page or like in the newspaper or online. So there's all these like kind of constraints, but like within that like kind of box, I can do whatever I want to bring to make incredible, um, powerful images that really personalize and bring put a face to the 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 quotes and the words that Rich wrote. So I, I guess my next question is: How do you prepare for something? something like this protest when you don't know what to expect from it? What's kind of like, I'm sure you have your own little checklist of what to go through. You know, let me get my batteries in order. What, what's your go-to gear? Uh, stuff like that. So mentally, I like to figure out the details of who's putting on the protest or the rally. Um, I like to get my gear together. Yeah, making sure I have extra batteries and they're charged, making sure I have my memory cards. I wear like on this day, like I make sure I dress for the weather. Like I had four layers of shirts. I had a hat. I had wool socks and heavy duty boots. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like a lot of this is really unpredictable. You really have to over prepare, I suppose. Oh yeah. Over prepare is like the name of the game. Like I have, I keep a a plug in for my cigarette lighter in my car that like turns and turns my car into an outlet for my computer. Um, I make sure my computer is all charged. Um, yeah, just like a lot of preparing. And then I have two cameras that I use. So I recently got an R6 and I have a 35 millimeter F1.4 on that. And then I also have a Canon 5D Mark III with a 7200 on it. So I have the 35 millimeter, which is actually what I made um, the image that we were just talking about with. And then I also have the 7200, which lets me get, get up a little closer and like not feel so invasive into somebody's space. And I'm I'm so glad you brought up gear because I love talking gear. I personally use a 5D Mark IV with a 20 to 300 that's really versatile, but just yeah. so heavy. And I also have the 24 to 70, which is probably the best of both both worlds, just like super versatile. Right, right. The 7200, sorry, the yeah, the 24 to 70 is like often like my go-to. Right now, I'm not using one, and I've been liking the challenge of the 35. So now I really want to ask you about a specific image. And uh, it's one I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, number 11 of 12 in the sequence. It's a woman in a traditional headdress right in front of the church. Can you talk me through, you know, capturing that image? Uh, first off, um, it was cold and it was very gray and it very much matched the, I mean, the mood, the mood of the news that we all woke up to and especially these families and these people watching their homeland um, be invaded by Russia. And it was a, in situations like this, um, obviously like they're, the trauma that they're experiencing is something that I will never understand. And so I was just like, I worked really, really slow. Um, there was a lot of members um, from different news organizations in San Antonio talking with everyone. And I was so appreciative of how open and willing to share the, these folks were. And this woman in particular, she kind of was doing a couple of interviews one after another. And so when people are doing interviews, I kind of like to kind of walk around the perimeter, find different angles. And I knew that San Fernando was going to be really like, it's going to say San Antonio and kind of bring home this story and make it local. So I was trying to think of like, how can I incorporate the church behind them and then also this traditional um, floral headdress. So I wanted to figure out how to bring the two together. And that's always the challenge on every assignment, no matter what it is. So I was watching um, on a talk with several different members of different 
news organizations in San Antonio and just walking the perimeter, finding different angles. And then I saw this moment and I actually, this is, I took several photos frames from this composition, just waiting for the right moment. There was several moments where like, you know, mouth is open and she, cause she was talking and sharing some really, really intense um, stories of her experiences through this really historical event. And then she looked away, she touched her headdress. And that was the moment I knew that would be, have all those things together. So kind of, I mean, the big challenge of photojournalism is like, you can't make anything happen. Like I can't direct unless it's a portrait. So like, it's a lot of sitting and waiting, finding your frame and then waiting for something to happen in this moment was exactly it. So this lasted maybe a second. Um, and it's about just like being at the ready and finding new ways to look at things. You mentioned that you like to start off slow, like maybe hang back a little bit. Is it different every time? Uh, or does it depend on the event that you're covering? That is like a really interesting question and like a process that I've been developing for myself. I actually, I ran into some of the organizers when I parked my car in the parking garage. I saw them draped in some, uh, they had signs and a Ukrainian flag, I think, I believe. And so like, I'm like, okay, cool. Like people are coming to this. Cause I also like some of these events, you don't know how many people are going to be there. Um, I, this is a really important thing. And obviously like really hope that people would turn out, especially like on the rough weather day for this, for this protest, this rally. Um, but when I got there, I walked over, I walked slow and calm, even though I kind of was nervous. Cause yeah, you don't know what, I didn't know what situation I was going to be walking into. So I saw Rich, I saw him when he was talking with somebody. So when he was, when there was like a pause, I went up and like stood next to Rich and introduced myself as his colleague to the woman he was interviewing. And then Rich and I just like, were like, okay, so like, these are the people Rich pointed out some of the people he had talked to. And he was like, okay, cool. Like make, pic- make some pretty pictures <laughs> basically. Um, and then, yeah, I started slowly making pictures. I think working slowly, especially in group situations like that is really important. Like you don't want to be rushing all over the place and like too intense. That's interesting. And so do you like go around asking permission? Hey, can I take your photo or are you just, you know, snapping away from a little further away? Yeah. So I, I do a little bit of all of it, especially, so I covered some of the protests over the murder of George Floyd in 2020 in San Antonio and that was a very chart, like a very charged situation. And I would ask for consent whenever at, at all possible. Um, so when we were in public there, I like to introduce myself and not just be a person with a camera that could potentially make someone feel uncomfortable. And also not everybody in public is wants to be photographed for a variety of reasons. And some of these are like security issues. Like there is a man that I got a photo of who didn't want his name used, but I made sure like he wanted, was okay with being photographed. So fi- like, nego- like negotiating consent is really important. So some of these people, I kind of like was listening to what Rich was asking. So I kind of like stood there for the interview part. And I was like, are you okay with being photographed? And when I got permission, I would take some photos and then other situations, um, I kind of just was doing some wider stuff and kind of <laughs> almost uh, photographing over the shoulder of um, some broadcast journalists as well. So a mix of both. It, it depends on the situation. It's very much like you have to be very situationally aware and just be really attentive and 
listen. I found myself listening. Okay. This sounds really cheesy. Um, but like listening with my heart and with empathy, um, I like walked away with like a even heavier weight on my heart over the situation in Ukraine after talking with folks and photographing and seeing their emotions. And yeah, this is something that another wonderful staff photographer, Jess Phelps, mentioned in a previous episode. They were covering a story on homelessness and Jess mentioned how it was so important to make the subject feel comfortable and to let them know that you're there to cover their story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is so much power that I hold as someone with a camera. Like I have so much power when I walk into a space, especially somebody else's space. Like I, they, for all they know, I could turn in a photo that makes them look nothing like they do in person. Like there's a lot, a lot of trust Mm -hmm. that I'm given when people agree to be photographed. And yeah, just as just said, I'm going into their space. I'm going into their moment of grief of their moment of experiencing this trauma in real time. And so being really careful and moving, like I'm not rushing around, jumping on tables to get all the angles all at once, but like really taking my time and cause they deserve my best and my best happens when I work slower and more intentionally. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, bringing us your insights and giving us a peek into your process. This all has been wonderful. Thank, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I've longtime listener, first time caller, as I said, when we were getting set up. Um, It's just really exciting to be on this podcast. And yeah, you do great work and really grateful to call you my colleague. Wow, that means that means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. 